motivation now baby girl can baby, you tell me where the love at when you really need them everybody love you but it's all for different reasons tell me where the love at when you really need them they feelings fail whether they be changing like the seasons tell me where the love at when you really need them if you down bad they gonna leave you dead bleed baby tell me where the love at welcome to the i guess this is the first official episode of su casa i'm your boy sue cravens aka i am suzy aka aka suzy sue however you want to say it most people don't know how to say my name the first time around or on their own so welcome this is my casa brought to you by the line hotel who hooked us up and made this the new official home for su casa so that's pretty big um first i just want to say thanks for tuning in thanks for coming to listen i'm a boring guy i'm not sure why y'all want to come and listen but y'all have questions and i'm willing to answer them so let's do it well sua we're gonna fire away with some questions that's jamal in the background <laughs> so from mo and lalo so a first question what was your favorite what was your welcome to the nfl moment Mo and Lalo, okay. My welcome to the NFL moment. There's so many different moments that I had in the NFL. I guess I'll choose a playing one. Um, when I, my first game in the NFL was Monday night, either Sunday or Monday night versus the Pittsburgh Steelers, my favorite childhood team growing up. And I was playing against Big Ben and just every dude I grew up watching. And before the game, Matthew McConaughey was on the sideline and he was close talking me for like 15 <laughs> minutes, just talking to me about sports and stuff. But this close, like to my face, where I was almost late to getting back in for like the prayer and to, to, to really get ready for to run out on the field. and. When I got back in the locker room, my uh, teammate at the time, Preston Smith, was like, "Bro, like, where the hell you at? You're almost late." And I was just like, oh, "I was talking to Matthew McConaughey. I was talking to Matthew McConaughey. I've seen all his movies and stuff, and he was just real close. <laughs> That's all I can remember was like how close we were uh, standing when we were talking. So that was really like, wow, the NFL. <laughs> That's a great uh, NFL experience. What a great right story. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah. So, so uh, Raul has a couple questions for you. So we'll start with the first one. What are your thoughts about kids playing contact football at an early age instead of opting to play flag football versus waiting until they're older? I think uh, it has their its pros and cons. I think that, you know, contact football, when you started early, you get that fear out of hitting. And that's kind of really big because you can tell when a kid is young if he has that desire to run his legs through contact or if he kind of shies away and then gets timid like my older brother he was timid of contact when he first started you can see like hidden drills he he shy away from it but my mom they they started all of us at seven years old contact sports and we were always bigger than our age group so we had to play two or three years above because our weight would put us there so we were getting thrown into the trenches real early and i was the opposite of my brother i was the kid who loved contact and i remember my first hidden drill we did bull ring when that was still legal <laughs> just giving kids cte left and right when i was when i was still legal 
we line up in a circle and <laughs> just on some gladiator nonsense, you line up in a circle and there's a kid in the middle and coach would just yell a name. And once you heard your name, you just ran and just hit whoever oh was in God. the middle from like a 10 yard <laughs> sprint. The parents would be like, oh, it was a gladiator ring, like throwing stuff onto the field. It's just, they want to see the hitting drills. And as bad as that was, it did teach you not to be scared of contact or how to brace yourself for contact and how to kind of like lower your shoulder and not use your head. But at this point, you know, we're kids. So it's, it's all, everybody's getting thrown out for targeting. It's just head first. And I remember I knocked the coach's earpiece to knock the coach's son's earpiece out. He called his son's name. I was on the 10-year-old team when I was seven. And he called his son's name. And I just looking and I turned around and he was almost to me. And I just braced myself and just lowered my shoulder and knocked him on a, knocked him down. And his earpiece came out. And the coach stopped the drill, obviously, because you know his boy got got put down. And after practice, um, I went up to my dad and he was the only thing he asked me was like you like playing football huh and i was like yeah <laughs> yeah he's like yeah, yeah okay now i can tell like he could see this guy he like he likes to hit so when you start your kids early in a contact sport that is something that you can't teach so when you see a kid that plays his first year of high school football when he's a freshman or a sophomore and he has his man's body or getting his man's body but hasn't been put to the test he'll stutter or he'll shy away and that can limit somebody especially when co college is two years away three years away coaches don't you know, want a project and when you're a guy who shies away that tells them oh you don't have experience on the football field so playing early and and getting your body used to that contact and just used to the angles of football and just you know developing yourself while you're playing and learning is the best way to become a natural athlete when it comes time to you know playing college and hopefully the pros but with that being said you also put damage on your body and what we know about head injuries now i don't think i'd let my son mm -hmm. if i were to have a son play contact sports at least not football unless he was a quarterback because mm. that makes sense you know you get the glory balls in your hand no matter if a coach doesn't like you or not if you're a baller you're a baller there's nothing subjective about it they gotta play you and they can't take the ball out your hands there's no politics when it comes to it if you can throw the ball 70 yards on a rope and read a defense and dice people up all game they got that they got to deal with you regardless mm -hmm. and you know from what i've learned from politics and and the injury aspect alone i'd rather my kid play quarterback if he's going to play football and start early Let's let's get you in a position where you still control your destiny and your health, you know. Love it. Yeah. And so follow up from our little uh, change of pace here, Sua. What's your favorite all time song by Kendrick? Kendrick His Lamar? is "Sing About Me." Okay, I actually love Kendrick Lamar's new album. Like I don't know why it got mixed reviews. I love it. I think it was a dope um, album. I think everybody was looking for like a head banger, like street hip hop album, and he came with another like poetry type album which i always appreciate so loved his new album but my favorite my favorite kendrick song would have to be a tie between whoo there's so many good songs um i guess money trees and mm -hmm. um hold up i actually was playing hold up before i pulled up here yeah big shit <laughs> pop in hold up yeah i was playing that that's 
Kendrick is Kendrick's in my everyday playlist. Love actually. it, love it. Raul, you you stumped Sua for a few seconds there. Nah, nah, it was, <laughs> dude, Kendrick has so many good songs. Like I'm probably gonna get backlash because I didn't choose like one of the <laughs> one of the more popular ones. But yeah. Now, question, couple questions from Ian Sua. Does an owner truly matter? Is the tone different at all in the building if the owner is a weird or eccentric person versus someone who's about the team? Well, from my experience, the owner was never there. Well, for one, the Redskins, you know, that guy, he not the best owner. <laughs> so not really involved with the team on a day-to-day basis. Um, I'm sure he has a lot of other things that he's dealing with. So, uh, yeah, Dan, he was never around. And when he was, it was kind of like, just don't talk to him. Mm. Like he had, if speak when spoken to type vibes. And, you know, yeah, I think an owner does matter because if you have a guy that, let's just be real about it. The NFL is 32 elite billionaires playing fantasy football with real lives. <laughs> I just Let's just be real about it. Like They don't give a damn about whoever's wearing their jersey on their team. As long as they're scoring touchdowns and bringing in ticket sales and hopefully making the playoffs every other year, they are happy. They don't care about anything else. So we can just we can just put that out there, okay? It's fantasy football in real life. So, yes, it matters because when an owner cares, it's a trickle-down effect because he's involved and, and it's not just a financial investment. Like, he knows his players. Mm. He can name his players. He's met his players' families. He's, he knows where his players are from or he's a fan of their college highlight. Things like that matter because then you get a head coach that cares. You get an OC and a DC that have a – scheme that caters to the players and not this is my scheme and you're going to fall in line and we're going to change everything that you're good at and you're going to learn to do what I'm good at no like everything caters to the players and you hear there's very rarely any teams like that in the NFL besides like the Seahawks the Rams um I heard Denver's on the come up whenever I talk to Justin he's like bro it's, I wish you were on this team with mm. this staff he always tells me that I'm like I wish I, I wish I could see it for myself. Just though there's those rare teams when they had the Legion of Boom in Seattle. It's yes. like when the rapport is built between owner and head coach and OC and DC and everybody's just in on the bigger picture of winning and it's not toxic and it's not about finance and, you know, we owe this guy a million if he does this, gets this and many yards this year. So let's make sure that we start spreading the ball around like that nonsense. When everybody's just on the same page that matters and those teams win and those teams are consistently good and we only see it from a few teams because there's only a few teams that have owners like that that are really invested into their squad so yes it does matter to me at least it matters a lot and I mean I could be wrong there could be a team that won a championship or made it and never spoke to the owner and hated their head coach and all that good stuff but I, I think that's huge for a team if the owner cares. Makes a ton of sense. And yeah. ironically enough, so Ian has a has a couple follow-up Broncos questions uh, <laughs> about uh, about the new head coach. Obviously, he said, we've seen Hackett's funny moments, but um, what is your sense about him when it's time to get serious? Um, does this dude know his stuff, and, and does he come across as a true leader? So I don't know much about Hackett, to be honest. I, um, all I know is what, you know, whenever I talk to Justin um, – about the team and how how it's going and versus compared to how it how it was when I was there what's it like I hear nothing but good stuff mm. and I mean the biggest thing that Justin will probably say about him is that you no know, he's he's a player's coach like he he'll ask you 
what what you think we should do here or what you're comfortable with doing here and he likes to exploit guys talents and use what they're good at and not you know tell them no you need to learn to be good at this that all the things that a player wants to hear and it's a dream to hear especially when you're uh, playing in a system that caters to you you know you're going to perform well on the field so it sounds like he's saying all the right things and doing all the right things and he's not rubbing the locker room the wrong way so that's all you can really ask for for a first year head coach because you don't know until the season starts so um we'll see i mean first year head coach for the for the broncos sure you no know, it's we'll see that's all you can really say that makes sense and and so what's your take on how russell wilson is going to fit into that face of the broncos franchise leadership role qb1 you know coming off of guys like peyton manning for instance and and how, how do you kind of see his leadership being similar or different he's perfect i think for the broncos he fits the mold that bronco fans have been yearning for since i think peyton left just that that super bowl you know the nostalgic quarterback that they were accustomed to having for for a little while and i hear his character it's not an act it's that he's just a genuinely good dude mm. and that, that talks to everybody in the locker room and isn't like standoffish isn't the snobby of like i'm a pro bowl don't talk to me or you know he, sure. he's just he's who he is and wears it on his sleeve and doesn't care and uh if anybody can respect that that's me so i like that and i like that he doesn't change for people and that he's just a good guy and you know you can work out you can pick his mind and you know you can go to dinner with him i've, I've heard again justin tell me like no he's 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 a cool dude so i think that he brings everything off the field that the broncos want and on the field i mean what can you what can you say negatively about him? Absolutely. The, probably the best quarterback that we've seen in the last 10 years on on the run making plays for broken plays and extending them with his legs and delivering throws down the field outside of Pat Mahomes. You know, that's he was the originator that we saw for the last five years making a Seattle offense that was struggling. He was eating in an offense where he had no business putting up the numbers he was putting up. So um, I think it's big for the Broncos. They're going to be really good on offense this year. For sure. And so, so a follow-up question there. If you play breaks down in today's NFL on the defensive side of the ball, who are you most afraid of playing quarterback in that particular situation? Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers. I, I've seen it for myself. I've experienced it. Like Aaron Rodgers is somebody where he's deceptively fast. People don't understand how fast Aaron Rodgers actually is. Like That boy can move, and he can flick it. He just – he just flicks it like a little yeah. dart. He just flicks the ball, and you don't think it's going to go that far, but it's on a rope, on a dime to wherever he's throwing it to. So, and that's a person that you just can't. I'm surprised. I think that if he wanted to, the, the Green Bay Packers can add another level to their offense if they just gave him a few RPOs. Mm. Oh, wow. I don't know if he wants to do it. You yeah. know, I don't, he wears that chin strap. Or <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know how his helmet stays on, but I don't know if he wants to do it. But if they just moved him, like a quick little fake play action inside zone and just moved him out the pocket real quick, that inside linebacker would be in a nightmare all day because it's like, do I run to the flat and chase him down or give him this free five yards on a second and long? And now they have third and short every single time down the field, and now I'm second guessing. And, like, it's it's him outside the pocket is scary. I actually had to pay, a, like, I think a $30,000 fine because he pump faked me and I jumped. And I grabbed his face mask on accident, and it was bad, though. Like, I, I, I it was pretty bad. 
there's a picture on Google. His whole face is turned and stuff. And he delivered a touchdown. Wow. Like, I fell, missed him, scrambles out the pocket, throws it in the back of the end zone to Jordy Nelson for a touchdown. And I'm just like, yeah, I got shitted on twice. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm going to get a $30,000 fine. And he threw a tub anyways. It was I'm telling you, he's a beast. A-Rod, That's sure. amazing. That's amazing insights. So we got a question from Tom. Switching to kind of the, the USC hat a little bit. With so much emphasis placed on offense, given Lincoln Riley's past track record, what do you see as the ceiling for USC on both sides of the ball, both this season as well as moving forward? Um, offense is uh, – I think offense is always going to click first because – the game caters to offense and mm. the rules cater to offense. So and with who we have at quarterback and with Lincoln Riley's play calling and how creative it is, USC should have zero problems moving the ball up and down the field this entire season, especially in the Pac-12 where if you have a pass-happy offense, you're good. But if you have a pass-happy offense with a dominant run game mm. – you're elite, and that's why Utah has been so successful because they bully you on the line when they run the ball and average four yards a carry, and then they'll hit you with like a triple option, and then they'll come out a triple option and line up and spread 11 personnel and dice you up with their tight ends or their, their wideouts. Um, shout out my boy TP, Tim Patrick. But USC, they have no excuse to not be successful in the offense. I think they'll average – five touchdowns a game this year, uh, put up 35, at least 35 points a game. I think that the questions are on the defense, the defensive side. The um, USC Trojans, they haven't had much of a presence on the D-line, not one that can play the run and rush consistently. So I think that might be a question mark, and teams who run the ball give USC problems. Oregon State, I think, put up 300 rushing right. yards on them last year. So and or it's Oregon State, you know, so – USC, they need to start bringing in those big boys. And I'm thinking that's something Lincoln can do because he has the Southern connections from being in Norman and recruiting in those areas. And Oklahoma's O-line and D-line are always ginormous. So that's I think when USC starts pulling those big boys from the south for the D-line and, and the front seven for linebackers and stuff, that's when USC's defense will start coming along, becoming elite. I think this year it will be a little bit of a question mark. Their linebacker group is probably the best group out on the defense i don't know about the defensive back room mm -hmm. i know that we have guys like damani jackson who's a five star who can come on and, and be a, a stud you know or it might be a, a, a red shirt season you never know because he's a freshman 17 eight years 18 years old coming into high school you know, or coming into college from high school it's a completely different level so i think we need to keep an eye on usc's defense because if we're scoring 35, 42 points a game, but we're giving up 28 to 35 points a game. That's not going to get the job done. Mm -hmm. And when we play those elite teams like Notre Dame, who can stop you and then get up two touchdowns and then just hand the ball off every play because their O-line is bigger than anybody that you have, we're not going to be able to beat those teams. So that's something that USC needs to address. Hopefully they have something cooking and we're in for a pleasant surprise. But I think that I think that we should be in for a treat on offense and hold on, we'll see about TBD. The yeah, we'll see, we'll see about the defense. So yeah. to that point, do, could you do you see 
USC being able to simply outscore their way to a Pac-12 title? Or what do you see as kind of the ceiling to this team this year? I mean, if you can do it in the Big 12, I think you can do it in the Pac-12 <laughs> right. because the Big 12 has more explosive offenses. Mm. I think that in the Big 12, you can play the 10th best team and they can put up 50 points a game. Like You'll go into Texas Tech and be in a dogfight because they can score 60 points. So right. um, I think in the Pac-12 – you don't see that as much. You'll get a team who maybe has an elite defense but can't score, like a Washington. Well, they can play the mm. run all day and, and hold you to 10 points at the half, but they'll have seven points, and that's why they lose because they just can't score the ball. I think that USC, because their offense is so potent that even a good defense will have trouble holding them to below 21 points. Mm. So it all falls back on USC's defense if they can get it done because if you're going to outscore people – the defense is going to get tired because right. the faster your offense scores, the more the defense is on the field. And if your defense struggles and can't stop them, then, you know, you, you get those games in the Big 12 where it's 66 to 55. Right, you know? right. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, I think they can outscore anybody, but I don't think that will get them to the college football playoff. Makes sense. Makes sense. So a questions from Xavier. Uh, do you ever wish you picked basketball over football? Okay, so funny story. And I know everybody's like, football players think that they're basketball players and they just play buff man basketball and foul. I was actually nice at basketball. Let's get that understood. <laughs> I wasn't like clunky. I wasn't falling over myself. I wasn't fouling. I was the one, point guard. I was bringing the ball up, calling the plays, and I had a strap on me. And I, and I was cash, okay? I was, ca I was a set shooter. Though. I couldn't like – I couldn't cook you up and then pull up a Jimmy. I had to, like, run the offense, pass it, and then come off a screen, and it was splack at at So <laughs> let's not get it confused. But, no, it was never going to be basketball because I wasn't really getting recruited like that. I only had a few looks from small schools like George Washington and, um, like, I don't even think Puget Sound, Puget Sound <laughs> yeah. even has a basketball team. I think I received a few letters from them, so for basketball. And then – um but I remember I went to a tournament when I was in 10th grade for a travel ball team, and I had balled out at the tournament. Like I dropped 40 in two games. Wow. And, yeah, I was, uh, I was 14 turning 15, and I was the only youngin' on the team. Everybody else was juniors and seniors, and I just was balling for two days at this tournament. And I remember I came home to my mom to tell her, like, Mom, I, I balled out. I got MVP. All these colleges were asking me and stuff. And she was like, step on the scale. Step on the scale. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you step on the scale? And then I stepped on the scale and I weighed like 204 pounds. And then at that point, I was like 210 naturally. She's like, you lost too much weight. Tell your coach you're quitting. Wow. You got to get ready for football season. Wow. <laughs> we're, we're done with basketball. You're getting ready for football season. So, yeah, my basketball, my high school basketball coaches will tell you, I probably quit the basketball team every year because my mom would be like, no, you're done. <laughs> no, you know, all right. We used it for conditioning. You're done. Yeah, you're losing too much weight. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, mama knows best. <laughs> I think it worked out. <laughs> Absolutely. Follow-up question from Xavier. Do you wish at USC that they let you have some Odori Jackson-type packages where you could play a little bit of offense and defense? Xavier says he was personally waiting for it for you. So my freshman year, um, I had no chance 
at playing offense on our team because we had just so many ballers. We had Marquise Lee and mm. Nelson Aguilar and Buck Allen and Silas Red and just you know we were we were stacked. We were stacked. Like Nelson was the third receiver. Receiver, on that I remember? Team, yeah, on that team. So yeah, like they never wanted me to play running back or receiver. And I I think I was pretty. I was a pretty good running back. I would like to. I would like to say like I think that I was. I could tote the rock a little bit, but. When I got there, it was purely defense. But they did have me on punt return and kick return. And there are a few games my freshman year where, like, Nelson got hurt or our returner got hurt, and they are like, Sua, go back there. And I fair caught every ball. (laughs) I haven't got a rep of this in practice. Like, I haven't juked anyone or faked anybody out in six months. I'm about to get hurt doing this. (laughs) Balls in the air, I was like, fair catch. And then I think I returned one kick in Colorado my freshman year. And I actually got like a 40-yard return. Wow. I broke a tackle and busted it to the sidelines. And I got pushed out of bounds but or tackled near out of bounds. But it was snowing, so they couldn't really stop as fast as, fast <laughs> as they wanted to. So maybe that's why I got 40 yards. But, yeah. And then when Sark came, he actually told me. He's like, I, I can see you being used like Miles Jack. Oh, very I was cool. like, good. Because Miles was my boy, but he, you know, he went to the other school and he was freaking winning the Pac-12 awards that I should have been winning. <laughs> but because I didn't play offense, like, what can I say? You know, if our stats are somewhat similar on defense, but this guy has seven touchdowns, exactly. Kinda, you know, so I was I was promised by Sark that I would be getting two, like I can be able to go both ways, and then that never transpired either. So, you know, I wish I could have played offense though. I loved I loved playing offense. The offensive guys have it good. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Well, great question, Xavier. Question from Joe on on a more sort of insightful note. He was wondering if the NFL has some type of program to assist former players in entering life after football. And more specifically, Joe was asking, how do you feel like your adjustment is going from a pro football player now to after football life? Okay. I mean, so technically yes they do technically like you're you get signed up in this email where it's like a job center newsletter where they'll be like we're having this event pull up for this event to learn this or you know we're doing this at this time and they say if you network and you know the possibilities that can happen it's the same thing that they tell you if you go to college and get a degree all you got to do is network but is a job ever guaranteed or is like anything ever guaranteed to happen isn't 100 percent up to you so Yes, technically, if we're talking legally, I couldn't say that they don't. But I can say from my experience, when I was done playing, not a not a fucking person from the NFL reached out to me to help mm. me with anything. Not one person, not NFLPA, not NFL. Like even when I was suing the Redskins, the NFLPA was every step of the way was telling me I had no case and that they couldn't help me and that this is like, oh, I have nothing here and I don't wow. have enough evidence and that yada, yada, yada. The entire time, the entirety of the time, I have constant emails hearing, I don't think we have anything here for Sue to continue, yada, yada. And eventually I ended up winning my case and I actually, I guess I did. And then the NFLPA wouldn't sign off on the settlement the Redskins sent over until I agreed to pay them. Oh, wow the same money that they said I had no chance of winning. So from my experience, I didn't get any help when I was down in the dumps, going through depression, going through like suicide thoughts, suicidal thoughts, mood swings, and like my, my, my brain injury and my head hurting and just, you know, going through mood swings where I'm not understanding. And 
and, and not and not trying to rely on Xanax that I was prescribed to to balance me out. Like knowing that I'm not okay unless I take my medicine was not okay with me. And I was I was all all alone. If I didn't have a support system, ain't nobody from the NFL reach out to me. Wow. I mean, I, I saw those newsletters. We'd get the emails for player career portal and uh, life after football, but they don't really they ain't checking in on you. Mm. Like, they not. They just do. That's like a forward, a forwarded email they send to everybody who's ever played in the NFL. That's wow. what that is. It ain't really like, and nobody calling to see if you're good. Ain't nobody. That's not how it is. So it's a hundred percent based upon what you choose to do with your life. And I reached a point where I had lows where, you know, I'd made attempts, multiple attempts on my own life. Wow. Like I should not be here today. I'll tell you right now. Like my family will tell you. How I'm here right now, I do not know. Wow. And from that point on, really my daughter is the one who saved my life. When I had my daughter, I had a reason to want to see the next day. And it made me want to be better because I didn't want to see, I didn't want her to see the person I was at that time. Because I wasn't me. I wasn't who I was and I was going through things. And she deserved better and she deserved to have me. And that's what pulled me through. And that's what got me to, you know, ask for help and be more vulnerable and admit that I ain't perfect and I go through things and I went through this and I'm not ashamed of it. it I, me knowing I was going to be a father to this young woman made me want to be better. But ain't nobody reach out to me and put me through a program for me to get here into a healthy mental space. No, I had to consciously every day make the decision. I'm going to survive. I'm going to get through this. Wow. And... Yeah, and so the, my my transition from NFL to what I do now has been purely a blessing. Like, it all came out of nowhere. There was a time where I was in my apartment in Denver, staring at the ceiling, not knowing what my future was going to be, not knowing if I'd be alive to see my next birthday, not knowing what I was going to do for a living, not, not even caring how much money I had in my bank, not even checking, just so much anxiety to even look of real-life problems because I don't have that NFL buffer to save me no more because neither there was never the nfl saving me it was my athleticism keeping me in the nfl which was saving me but it was never like oh the nfl has my back because i'm no it was never that so i was always on my own and at a point if you ask me could you see yourself three years from now with two beautiful daughters with a podcast with la football network and working at usc and doing the things you do on the weekend covering college football and talking NFL football and sports on Twitter, could you see that you're gonna do that for a living and get paid and have this great life? If you'd asked me that three years ago, when I just got out the league, hell no. What are you talking about? Well, Sua, you're an absolute inspiration and, and I hope that you, we can share more of your story to inspire young people. And we're thrilled that you're part of the LAFB family and we so greatly appreciate you, as I'm sure so many others do now as well. Uh, question from Renee Sua. So who were the best players you played with slash against in college? So a little bit of a, of a, of a loaded question uh, there. <laughs> okay. The first one that comes to mind, Brandon Cooks. Ah. When he was at Oregon State, my goodness, this was probably the fastest person I'd ever seen. This was Cheetah before Cheetah. Like, wow. Brandon Cooks at Oregon State was a problem. We'd watch his highlights in the whole week. They're like, this guy. Even he, he's, when, he, when he's covered, he's not covered. They will send him deep and throw the ball to where he's going to be, and he will get there. That's how fast he is. And when we played Oregon State, 
the first offensive possession, they ran a double move with him, and we had a bracket on him. Every play, we just bracket cooks. Like, no matter what, we don't care if it's a run play, we will sacrifice one less in the run game to make sure wow. Brandon Cooks is doubled. And he ran a double move and got behind the corner and the bracketing safety and still caught the ball for like a 60-yard gain. And after that, we were just like, okay, safety, if you don't line up 30 yards on the hash on top of him, and go everywhere he goes. I don't care if he blocks. You go everywhere he goes. That's not the only reason we beat them. Like we just said, we are willing to lose the game from anybody else but Brandon Cooks. So that's probably the first one of the best players I've seen at college football. Christian McCaffrey, easily one of the most electric guys. Like, and it's so annoying because everybody we play at Stanford is like, I'm not gonna say they're nerdy or corny. <laughs> But they're like, you know, they're not like, and I'm not gonna say they're not intimidating, but they don't, they just don't have that, you know, that aura sure. of, you know what I'm yeah, talking about. Absolutely. But it's the most aggravating thing ever when, because Stanford, they don't talk, they don't talk shit. They're just quiet. They're just gonna quietly beat your ass <laughs> all game. And when they're just quiet and they're helping you up too, like it's annoying. It's like, it's like a mind, like they're messing with you. And it's annoying when you get Christian McCaffrey back there who is quiet, he's humble, but he's faster than you, he's more athletic than you, and most likely he's going to make you look like an idiot if you try to tackle him. Going against that and not being able to stop it is like, dude, what do you do against this dude? Because they put him at running back. If we crowd the line, they're like, okay, we're going to spread him out at slot. Good luck covering him. Wow, yeah. He's like a Swiss Army knife. Exactly. Yeah. So it was just like, oh, oh, you guys want to, you guys gonna cover him in zone? Okay, we'll send him on a jet sweep then, real fast, in, out of nowhere, and just toss him the ball and get a quick ten yards, and he'll run out of bounds. And we'll do that all the way down the field. So, Brandon Cooks and Christian McCaffrey, definitely two guys where I was like, this is ridiculous. And then Marquise Lee is just mm. the athletic. That Belitnikov here was special. Marquise is the only guy that I would see. Come into workouts eating McDonald's <laughs> and like not not drinking water. I've never saw him drink water or Gatorade ever. It's just like bro was just a super freak. Come in eating fast food the night before eating McDonald's coming in, and then get in the weight room and lift more than everybody. Really, like because he's slender. You know, you don't you don't sort of think Marcus of that at first. Buff as hell. Like he'll eat whatever he wants, and then you know we'll go on the practice field. Bro has eight pack like. I'm out here on a all salad diet, doing everything. <laughs> I still have a, a jelly roll at the bottom. This man just finished that a whole double pounder with cheese and eight packed up faster than everybody, jumping higher than everyone, just explosive as hell. Competitor too, getting your face talked crazy like that. Everything that you want a football player to be, and it was just like, bro, you're just born with that. You're just born with that, isn't he? That's just genetic, it. yeah. You can't teach it. You can't. You can't work and earn that. Like you are just. You have that equipped already. That's incredible. Yeah. So, following up on the uh, the McCaffrey point, mm -hmm. that year, right? It was Derrick Henry won the Heisman. You know, a lot of people felt there was sort of a West Coast bias. There, not enough people saw McCaffrey. Yeah. What you you were obviously playing. What was what was your take there? I think Chris McCaffrey easily should have won the Heisman. Mm -hmm. The stats don't even. The stats don't even lie. Like if we're being real about it, I think if Christian McCaffrey played for Notre Dame or Michigan or Ohio State, he wins the Heisman that year easily. But that's the politics that goes into it. But you can't tell me that you could stop Christian McCaffrey. 
Like, not that you could stop Derrick Henry, but I mean, you could if you put nine in the box and just let them beat you with the pass. Right, game. right. Like, he, there's only so much he can do. He's a human, and he needs. If you have more defenders than blockers. What, what the hell is he gonna do? Right. You couldn't do that with Christian because if you put eight in the box, they would just put him at slot and mm. get a one on one with your inside backer, which is what you never wanted to see. So it's like, okay, we're gonna play him honest, and we're gonna put our front. We're going to have our front beat them. And it's like, well, Stanford's O-line was so big, and they have misdirection. So if you commit too fast to any run scheme, they're just going to come back with a counter the next play. And then Christian's so fast that a five-yard gain turns into a 50-yard gain. Mm. Incredible. So, Absolutely incredible. You know, it, was just, it was pick your poison. So I think that politics definitely played a major role in why he didn't win that because like, – <laughs> What are we talking about? Right. Yeah. Stanford wasn't even supposed to be good that year. Yeah, they exactly. Even to be good that year. They weren't even ranked when they beat us, I think. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. They weren't right. even ranked. Like, that's they exactly were, right. They lost to Northwestern to start the season. It was like a bad. They were supposed to be a down year for Stanford. They ended up going like 11 and 1 or 12 yeah. and 1. Won the Rose Bowl, year. beat Iowa. Bowl, yeah. Beat us twice. Like, yeah. And Chris McCaffrey sparked all that. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, you know, obviously, Lot has been in the news with. All this stuff with Pac-12, Big Ten, USC, UCLA. Uh, I know we we had a very interesting conversation offline. What 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 is what are your take on uh, kind of the future of the Pac-12? What what is this good for SC and UCLA? It's great for USC and UCLA, even though Gavin Newsom's about to hate <laughs> on UCLA. But I heard that UCLA's football program was going to have to be like it was going to have to end because they didn't have enough money this year. Yeah, sixty-two and a half million dollar debt in the athletics department. So they had to like cut hella sports programs to stay in the Pac-12. Right, right. So why, like Gavin, that's going to look real bad on you, bro, if you hate on them and. Don't let them leave because you're basically telling maybe like 300 kids you don't have a college scholarship anymore. Like that's you can't do that. You cannot do that because you're upset they didn't give you enough. Like, come on now. If you were 70 mil in debt and somebody says that we have 100 mil for you if you just come over here and sign this contract and just join us in four years, you're signing that contract for sure. So I don't get that. I think that it's huge for usc it's huge because now they, there's no more oh you're the conference you play in isn't strong and that, that <laughs> nonsense that you hear because they use that because they justify when a team from the sec has two losses can get in exactly that's that's what they do the conference is so tough that it okay so if i have two losses in a tough conference that should mean nothing even if I don't win my conference championship, even if I don't play in my conference championship, because my two losses come from a conference that's considered tough, I should be immune to losses. You know? It's crazy. So I think USC now being in the Big Ten, especially if Notre Dame joins. Right. Isn't it the same? Isn't Absolutely. Second place runner-up Big Ten team that has two losses, one to Ohio State and one to USC or one to North USC and Notre Dame, can't that team still qualify for the playoff? Isn't that the same as a two-loss LSU team that lost to Alabama and Georgia? Absolutely. And couldn't play in the conference chip because they're on the same side as Georgia? It's the same or, thing, though. Or Bama, like, isn't it the same? It's the, so I think it gets rid of that, you know, this. we're going to guarantee two teams gets in from this conference because it's like, no, now there's going to be a bunch of good two-loss teams. There's going to be a lot of good two-loss. There's going to be five, four to five two-loss teams where you're like, this team lost to the winner of the conference by three points. That's right. And, the mar you know, everyone – so everyone forgets, even in the Pete days, 
that SC only made the national championship game the two years That's that they twice. were undefeated. So yeah, twice when they're undefeated. You know, because even 03, right? They were they were they left out. Loss, they had right. left out, and then the Sanchez year, they were left out. So the margin for error for SC was you had to go perfect. Yeah, but not 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 in the South. Exactly. Not in the East Coast. Exactly. Where Notre Dame could have one loss and still be ranked number two. I remember when I was in middle school, I think Michigan, Ohio State played. They were number one and That's number right. two. And they beat, well, who, I think Michigan lost. Didn't yep. drop. Right. Did not drop. <laughs> not one ranking did not drop. And I'm like, so y'all can pick and choose when a loss matters. Because I, it drives me insane. And obviously, I'm not, I'm not biased or stupid. Like, I know the Pac-12 isn't the strongest conference in the nation. But you're not going to act like... Playing USC, playing Oregon, playing Utah, no matter what time of year it is, no matter what the conference is looking like, you're not going to act like that's not a game you get ready for. You're not going to act like it's not a game you're like, oh, we got to play them. Like, no, we got to tighten up. You ain't, you're not playing, you know, you're not playing Rice. You're right. not playing freaking uh, uh, Texas, uh, what's it, uh, UTSA. You're not right, playing right. <laughs> yeah. the Roadrunners. You're playing, you know, you're playing a good team and you know it. But that, that respect isn't given when it comes time to the nitty-gritty of mm. who's going to be in the playoff or not. Now, I can't stand it when it's like a four-loss SEC team and two of their losses are to, like, Kentucky and, and Missouri <laughs> and another two is Bama and Auburn. It's like, okay, so you've lost to an elite team in your conference, understandably so, but then you have three other questionable losses, but because you're in your conference, it's good losses and you're still a quality team that would be in the top two of any other conference. Why do you get that respect automatically, you know? But the Pac-12 or the West Coast teams, Oregon, USC, you you lose one time, your season's over. I'll just get ready to hopefully you win out and don't slip up and you go to the Rose Bowl. Makes sense. How, Sua, how do you expect SC in terms of kind of national championship contention in the Big Ten? Do you see it as kind of year in and year out? Do you think it's going to be every other year? How, how do you see it sort of play out? I don't think this conference alignment will last that long to begin with i think mm. it'll turn into like an nfl afc nfc thing and it'll be you know two different division playoffs and the winners of each conference of the afc championship they'll play in the next championship wow, yeah. i think that's what it'll be but i think that usc will have a chance to play in the national championship every single year mm. if they make it to the conference championship because They'll be able to afford one loss. They'll be able, they'll, they'll be afforded one loss and still be able to get to the conference championship. So I think that if USC it keeps trending up the way they're doing and recruiting and with the transfer portal going crazy, because who doesn't want to live in L.A. for a team that's winning when you have money thrown at you and you play on the big stage and you're guaranteed to play Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Wisconsin, Notre Dame every single year. You're guaranteed. You're on. It's five primetime games on NBC or on Fox right there. Five primetime games. So why wouldn't you want to play in the Big Ten but live in California? Exactly. That's and the best winning, of everything. And we're winning? Like, what are, what are we talking about here? USC, they have the, that's why a lot of these schools are complaining about the NIL and the transfer portal because the teams who have the markets and the money, they're going to be king. And, that, I mean – and that's what it's been, <laughs> even before it was legal. That's what it's been. There's just only certain teams that are allowed to get away with it. But they know that this is a, it's a monster for a team like this to be good. It's a monster for a team like Miami to be good and have a, somebody behind them. Don't let some random you know, politician come in and say, oh, I just, I'm, here's a budget I just want to donate to you guys. No, do as you will. 
Like, don't let that happen because it's like, who doesn't want to live in Miami? Right. If I'm from the South, Miami, the, the U's offered me a full ride scholarship. I have NIL Delta that's $700,000 and we're balling and we're, we might join the SEC. Yeah, I mean, it's a no-brainer. Exactly. So those, those big market teams, they're a problem for guys like Alabama or, and guys like um, Ohio State because why do I, I'm not going to Columbus unless I'm from the Midwest. Exactly. Exactly. If I'm from Texas, I, at least from I, my perspective, if I'm from Texas, I'm going to choose Los Angeles over Columbus, Ohio. Oh, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. You know? Well, Sua, this has been some great questions. Those were all the questions we had from the fans. Anything you'd like to share, this being your first episode, on what you'd like to expect? So we had, um, we had a great idea. <laughs> and I'm going to put it on record now because if it happens, we're going to play this and we're suing whoever steals the idea. <laughs> we're we're patent pending trademark now. We've come up with the idea that... Since this is all haywire and transfer portal is about to be unlimited, you can transfer as much as you want to, and these teams can leave whatever conference and, and region no longer matters. Eventually, college football is going to become the G League for the NFL, mm. where you get 32 college teams and you split them in half into Big One or Big Two, whatever you want to call them, North versus South. And you do it like AFC, NFC. You have the same playoff format. The winner of each division, they play each other. Obviously, the, the teams in the North can play the teams in the South in the regular season and schedule them like they do five, nine regular season and then seven uh, conference games. They can do it just like that. Yep. And the bottom two teams of both the North and the South of these major 16-team conferences that have everybody that's in them, the bottom two teams get relegated from both the North and the South, and the top teams, the top four teams from those four other conferences, the, the conference champions, they get boosts. They get put up into those two slots that are now open. So you get promoted and you get relegated. And I think that now creates a situation where nobody can complain. No, there's no bias. There is no, oh, they're only doing this. The only reason why this won't work is because money. It's because they're like, we don't want this team because their market's not big enough. And I will show you that college football is not about college football. It's only about money if they were to do that. So relegate the teams. If Alabama goes four and seven, four and eight one year, and they're at the bottom two, they get relegated. That, if USC, same thing. They get relegated. It doesn't matter how big their market is. You don't deserve to be in this super conference, clearly. And I think that's how you keep it fresh because now the teams that are on the outside looking in are dying to get into that conference. Right. And when you win, it shows. You get rewarded for it. And the teams that don't deserve to be in it and they're just living off prestige of what they've done in the past and their names of players. And, oh, we have X amount of players in the NFL or we've had this many All-American. It does not matter. You won three games. Good luck in the Big West. <laughs> Good luck in the whack for a year. Yeah, go what play a great home. idea, Sua. Honestly, and it, it you know you get, that shows you got to earn it every year. And and for the teams that are not in the big conferences, at least there is a clear path to get in, which is what's lacking today. If we had this, UCF never would have done that stupid ass weird <laughs> national champions, whatever the hell that was. Because UCF knows damn well if they played Alabama. Georgia, Florida, in three straight weeks like those SEC teams have to do, three L's. Right. Three L's. Back-to-back-to-back to back to back L's. And a team like that 
would have won what what conference the conference usa they would have won or the american conference. yeah yeah AAC. they would have won the american conference and did that oh undefeated nonsense got promoted maybe replace what like i don't replace i don't know who's wisconsin or something they're out replace them and then win two games the following year yeah. conference play they're right back out because i just showed you they were a pretender there's no there's no need to discuss nothing subjective about it not the only thing that holds that idea back is the market and money, you know? But, you know, if it's only one out of 16 teams or two out of 16, out of 16 teams, teams, you know, it, you still have enough in the other markets, presumably. So, But you're not, you know, damn well, yeah, of a course. USC booster is not going to go quietly. <laughs> if USC's getting relegated, and now they have to play Fresno State and Hawaii, and, Hawaii yeah. and, and Wyoming for a year, they're not going to be happy about that at all, and vice versa. Ohio State's not having that, and, you know, it'd be a lot of egos involved. But if you're this pristine, prestigious, elite team, you should never worry about being relegated. I know Man City never worries about being relegated. There you go. Exactly. This is why you got to tune into Sukasa for all the great ideas. The innovations they, happen they here. They just cook up, you know? <laughs> they just cook up. But, yeah, we're patenting that idea. If it happens, we're the godfathers of that idea. Don't let them lie to you. Don't let them appropriate our idea. It happened here first at Sukasa. Well, Sua, anything at last you'd like to close with in episode one? Stop complaining about the transfer portal. <laughs> let, leave these kids alone. Y'all, look. Some of y'all haven't picked a career the first 30 to 40 years of y'all life, okay? Y'all had busboy jobs to delivering papers. Some of y'all old enough where y'all were delivering milk door to door. And that wasn't your career path. And you eventually chose it and then you stuck with something that you liked and you were happy with. You had your entire life to do that. These kids have four years to make the right decision to get themselves in the best possible position to play pro football is what they're doing it for. They're not doing it to say, I got a degree from this place. I chose this place for a degree. It sounds nice, but we'll be real about it. Anybody who's good enough to get drafted in the first round is leaving their junior year without that degree. That's, that's a fact. So stop using that as an excuse to argue your personal views on how you feel about somebody else's future that has nothing to do with you. Your favorite team will be okay. They bring in new guys, uh, 25 of them, every single year. I'm sure you guys will manage these kids, they have to take advantage of their time now because one injury and it's over. And what? That degree doesn't pay you six figures. It's not guaranteed to pay you six figures. I know people with master's degrees from prestigious universities that are out doing surveys on clipboards for $15 an hour in college debt, okay? So let, let the transfer portal work its wonders and let these kids make the decisions they want to make. That's all you can do. I think we should do this. At the end of every episode, I'm going to lecture you in your face <laughs> like I'm your parent and tell you what you need to stop doing. I think that'll be a nice little segment. Love it. Well, Sua, what a great first show. And, and thanks so much, audience, for tuning in. And more to come from Sukasa. Yes, sir. Motivation, now baby girl, can you tell me where to love at when you really need them? Everybody love you, but it's all for different reasons. Tell me where to love at when you really need them. They feelings fail, whether they